Hello and welcome to this week's Movie Mouth Film and TV Podcast. This week we have some amazing new reviews with two huge home releases, starting with Tom Hanks' World War II Apple TV thriller Greyhound and Charlize Theron's action epic The Old Guard on Netflix. This, alongside the week's film news, listener questions and trailer breakdowns, and we'll also be discussing the classic Jim Carrey starring movie, The Truman Show, in our weekly video store corner section. Super exciting. We are not your job. We're not how much money you have in the bank. We're not the car you drive. We are not the contents of your wallet. We're not your fucking khakis. We are the all singing, all dancing crap of the world. The first rule of the Movie Mouth podcast is you do not talk about the Movie Mouth podcast. This is your co-host Miles, and as ever, I am joined by the insomniac narrator to my penis in film reel splicing imaginary friend. He is the little scratch on the roof of your mouth that would heal if only you could stop tonguing it, but you can't. A guy who first came to the podcast with his ass like a wad of cookie dough. After a few episodes, he was carved out of wood. I am Jack's complete lack of surprise, and this is Phil. Hello. Hi, Phil. Hello. How are you? I'm all right. How are you doing? Wonderful. <laughs> Brilliant. So what have you been watching this week, Phil? This week, I have been mostly watching. Um, I've been carrying on with Snowpiercer, believe it or not. So I watched the, oh, I don't know what episode I'm up to. It must be like episode six now, I think. Mm. Still enjoying that. Starting to get quite interesting. So that's good. And then I've also been watching, uh, I'm about three episodes in to um, Dark Season 3, which is the German Netflix time travel series. Uh, I don't know if, have you seen that? Uh, I haven't actually. I've been meaning to get around to it. Is it worth a watch? Yeah, it's well worth a watch. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. First two series were brilliant. This one's good so far. I said I'm three episodes in, I think. Um, yeah, that's mostly been it for this week. I've had a busy week. Pretty cool. Well, actually, on your on your point, um, I I finally got around to seeing Hamilton, the musical, which I hadn't actually seen um, on the stage. I've been meaning to see it for a long time. But the original mm-hmm. cast recording just released on Disney+. Plus. So those who follow us on social media will have seen that I was watching that on, uh, on Saturday night. I had a little date night to myself, a little cheese, a little martinis out on the balcony, and I watched <laughs> Hamilton. Um, which also stars obviously Lin-Manuel Miranda, who uh, basically created the whole thing, Uh, but also David Diggs, who is also in Snowpiercer. And I can confirm he's in two roles. He's in the role of um, uh, Lafayette and uh, Thomas Jefferson. And he is absolutely amazing in -hmm. in Hamilton. Hamilton is bloody brilliant. Like genuinely. I've heard very good things about it, yeah. Wow. It's a rap musical about the founding fathers of, of America. And it if that doesn't like that. sound great, trust me, it's absolutely amazing. And I highly <laughs> recommend it uh, if you can get it on, on Disney+. Plus. That was great. Um, I also did a random James Franco double bill in the middle of the week. I ended up watching The Interview again, which is the, the movie where Seth Rogen and James Franco um, are a kind of producer slash interview double Um and they go to North Korea to interview Kim Jong-un. And I, I saw it before. I didn't love it the first time I saw it. For some reason, I watched it again, and it's absolutely hilarious. I was I laughing the whole way that. through. 
lots of controversy about that, wasn't there, when it came it out? It was, it was, and and probably not really that rightly so, because it's pretty tame in many mm. areas, but it it's really good. I really enjoyed it. Like a lot of those movies, like Pineapple Express, you know, I enjoyed more the second time. So brilliant. And then I also finally got around to watching The Disaster Artist, which is also actually directed by James Franco, and it's starring yeah. him as the, the filmmaker Tommy Wiseau. Um, who in 2003 self-produced, wrote and directed this disaster of a movie called The Room, um, yeah. which was is you know a terrible, terrible, terrible movie and famous for it. But it actually yeah. found an audience in a lot of uh, late night movie houses and since has actually turned a profit. But it was re- James Franco is amazing in that. His brother Dave Franco's in there. You've got Seth Rogen in there. It's not the a typical kind of you know comedy that those guys usually bring you. But I was mm. really glad I got around to watching it. And again, I highly recommend that. That was a really, really good movie. Isn't that the, uh, oh, hi, Mark? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> so this week's listener question comes from Chi in London, who wants to know, hi, Phil and Miles. I am a big Christopher Nolan fan. And since a recent rewatch of Interstellar, which I incidentally hated the first time around, as did I. Um, I realize that this is a magnificent movie and really adds to his almost perfect back catalogue of films. The question is, can you rank your favorite Nolan movies? So Phil and I sat down a little bit earlier today and we went through a joint list and uh, we managed to balance this out. And I think just just one element just to discuss is neither of us have actually seen following his first, you know, kind of full, full length release. Um, but we will we'll talk about his nine kind of big uh, picture releases uh, anyway. So in at number nine, uh, we have put this the lowest on the on the list. That would be the Dark Knight Rises, um, the the kind of final piece of the the Dark Knight trilogy. This was mm-hmm. a bit too all, all over the place. Gotham became basically just Manhattan when it was already London and Chicago and it had its its kind of vibe. Um, saw the double cross happening. Some amazing set pieces. But it perhaps, I don't know if you'd, you'd agree, Phil, suffered from maybe too many villains and new characters after spending two films already creating the world that it should have been in. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that sums it up quite nicely. But um, Tom Hardy's good in it, though. Oh, he's but, bloody good. He's bloody yeah. good. But yeah, it's not, it's not, the, it's not my favourite, but it's still good. Fun thing about Tom Hardy is he's 5 foot 10, 5 foot 11, and they somehow make him look like 6 foot something, which is obviously the giant thing. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like a giant. Obviously, breaks Batman's back. So, filming yeah. from all kinds of different angles to achieve that. Um, yeah. But no, there were some great set pieces in there. That stadium scene where they destroy the the, the football oh, that's field. That's great. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it collapses in on itself. Very cool. Number eight is Memento, which is you know obviously the the movie that I think introduced the world to Christopher Nolan after following. Um, very twisty, of course. Uh, it's a very deep movie, dark and very cerebral. For that reason. I, it's not the kind of movie I go back and watch again and again. It's it is to some extent a masterpiece. Yeah, um, it's one of those tough watch watches. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that you don't always like. You don't. Uh, oh, I'm not really in the mood for a couple of hours of depression this evening. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many films we could put on that list that you just yeah. you know is a great movie, but you just don't want to watch ever again. Yeah. Um, so in at number seven is Interstellar, which I was bamboozled to find out, Phil, that you hadn't actually seen this yet. Yeah, um, I know. Because you're a sci-fi nerd as well. I mean, you love all this stuff. You should. Be yeah, I know. I need, I, do, this. 
I don't know how I've not watched it yet. That's right. I'm going to spoil it for you now. No, I'm not really. Um, but this is a very long, heavy movie. Uh, it has incredible practical effects. There are some really cool theories of time, like how time space is used and the measurements of time. Like when he, he goes to a planet where time is considerably slower than we have it. So um, that was really cool. Uh, Black Hole Science, it was really interesting. It's a bit of a punishing watch. Um, incredible visuals. The score by, by Hans Zimmer um, is uh, one for the ages. And the central performance by Matthew McConaughey is, is incredible. I actually hated this the first time, same as Yuchi. Uh, I saw this in the IMAX, in, uh, in one of the IMAXs in London. I was really up for it. And for some reason, it looks great, sounds great. Everything's there. Just didn't connect with me. I found it very cold. But since I've rewatched it, I've, I've liked it more and more the more I've, I've, I've re-seen it. Um, number six, Batman Begins, Nolan's first foray into big budget blockbuster movie making. Um, I mean, not a lot can be said about this. There's some pretty ropey CGI in there with like the tram stuff and all that kind of thing. But Batman oh, yeah, actually beginning was pretty cool, wasn't it? With um, Liam Neeson when he's kind of training under him. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, you know, I liked it. I remember. Yeah, I remember seeing that at the time when it was out. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I still, I still remember the uh, the chill at the end when Gary Oldman pulls out the Joker card. And then it oh yeah, the credits. Which yeah. is really cool. I need to rewatch that. I've not seen that for a while. Yeah, there's some cool visual effects there when he they they have that psychoactive drug that the scarecrow is spraying. Um, yeah, spraying around and Cillian uh, Murphy, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So um, love yeah, that, that is a bit weird. That. Mm, mm. Um, I loved all that stuff actually. But yeah, and then number five. So this is my one of my personal picks. This would actually be in my top three, believe it or not. Um, a lot of people don't know this movie or don't really like it, but that's Insomnia, which is a remake of a Scandinavian movie, this time starring Al Pacino as a police detective investigating a brutal murder case uh, in a 24-hour daylight Alaska. So, of course, he's suffering from insomnia. He can't sleep. There's constant daylight. Um, and uh, this also stars Robin Williams in a deliciously dark and fragile performance. I love this movie. I think the shots at the start of the plane carrying Al Pacino over this deep turquoise glacier ice are absolutely incredible. Um, and there's a, there's a really cool kind of chase slash shootout scene in, in the mist, which doesn't usually lend itself well in movies because you can't see anything. But <laughs> in this case, it's a, it's brilliant. I really like that movie. Again, it's a kind of difficult dark watch, but one I'm always meaning to go back to and see. Um, number four, The Prestige. Um, about two or three rival, uh, I was going to say two or three rival magicians uh, who are battling each other to have the, to have the plaudits in London's Victorian magic scene. Um, but it, it's a great movie, and I don't know. If yeah, I really like the Prestige. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I, I really like it. Again, it's been a little while since I've seen it, but I yeah, I really like it. I think it's um, you know great cast as well and a good one. Um, I forgot because I was looking it up as well today, just when we were talking about the list, and I forgot that Bowie was in it as Tesla. Bowie's in space. <laughs> but yeah, it's I, yeah, great film. I really like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I really like that film as well. Love the twist. I think that, that's incredible. Mm. Um, so that leads me. Oh, do you remember what the first part is called? By the way, of the Prestige. <laughs> I, I can't remember. It's like, this part is called the the turn. Oh. The first part is called 
the pledge. Oh, the pledge, yeah, that was it. The second part is called the turn. <laughs> the third part is the prestige. Uh, on to number three was The Dark Knight. Uh, so what can be said about The Dark Knight? I mean, it's a masterpiece, isn't it? It's an yeah. absolute yeah, friggin' masterpiece. Yeah, um, visually amazing. Just oh, great performance. It, like, oh, it's just so good, all of it. Heath Ledger running riot as the Joker. Yeah, amazing. It's just so, such, and, and again, like, because of you know, the stunts and the, the set pieces in that, but the practical stuff they did, like that whole chase scene with the, you know, the massive truck, which they flip and, oh, when he's on the... And no one ever mentions bat- that bike. Katie Holmes became Maggie Gyllenhaal. <laughs> no, one ever, yeah. no one ever says, is it weird? Yeah. Like, Rachel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no one ever says that. <laughs> no, they don't. It's like, you've, you've changed. Yeah. Rachel, you've changed your face. <laughs> um... But a great movie. What I have they done I, to you? I I got to tell you, I didn't actually love The Dark Knight when I first saw it. I I was I thought it was a little bit overblown, a little bit bloated of a movie. Mm. And I, it's still not it for me. It's still not necessarily my top five Nolan, and that would probably annoy a lot of people. But I'm not just saying it because I'm a hipster. I'm saying it because it's still a film that doesn't necessarily connect with me in all the ways that it does a lot of other people. For example, I know he based a lot of it visually and plot wise on heat, which is one of my favorite movies. And I don't think you can improve upon that. So, um, mm. but you know, obviously it's number three on the list because it is a stone cold masterpiece. Number two is his most recent work, which is Dunkirk. That rhymes. Most recent work, Dunkirk. What would you say about this <laughs> one, Phil? I, yeah, there's the, I went to see that at the IMAX and that was one that you had to see in IMAX it was mm-hmm. phenomenal um hearing that and seeing that oh the sound i mean i think that's the main thing obviously the visuals in it were great yeah it was a brilliant film so well made mm-hmm. but the sound in that was absolutely mind blowing just i just remember sitting in and it and it was probably cuz you know it helped that i was seeing it in IMAX with like the upgrading sound quality you get with that yeah. but Oh, when the planes were bombing and stuff and, you know, the whole tension music thing that happens on a lot of the Nolan soundtracks and um, was Mm. it Hans Zimmer that did Dunkirk as well? Yeah. So, you know, just the tension in it was unbearable at points. Little fact about that is that uh, Christopher Nolan famously has a pocket watch on every production he uses to keep time, I guess, like we were. Um, yeah. But of course, he's Chris Nolan, so he has a pocket watch. And um, <laughs> if you remember, the score is lots of ticking. Yes, isn't there like ticking the in all of the Nolan films? It, yes, and but predominantly the whole way through Dunkirk, it doesn't yeah. stop apart from at the end when the when yeah. the Spitfire is gliding. So basically, um, Hans Zimmer took Christopher Nolan's pocket watch and yeah. put a microphone to it, and then he augmented it and synthesized it into the movie soundtrack. So the actual ticking that you hear, whether it's been synthesized or in its natural form, is actually Christopher Nolan's actual pocket watch that he had with the with the seconds counting down. Ah. Cause that's brilliant. That's a that's a that's a nice little fact, that one. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot they talked about it a lot actually. And uh I saw Hans Zimmer a few years back do a, a concert and he talked about it. They actually performed like a suite from it. And yeah. um 
but no one really knew what the movie was yet. It wasn't even out yet. So, which is right. pretty cool. And he, he, he mentioned that, uh, when I was working with, uh, Chris Nolan, I, I used his pocket watch and, uh, <laughs> you know, we turned it into the music of the movie. Um, so <laughs> number one is inception. So basically Phil voted for number one, Dunkirk. I voted number one inception. Number, my number two was Dunkirk. Phil's number two was Inception. The reason why we moved Inception into number into the number one spot is because obviously this movie has high thrills aplenty. I think it has visuals that have never been seen before, Inception. Yeah. I think it has a storyline that's never been seen before, dream within a dream within a dream. Mm. And the score, the Hans Zimmer score again with the bam. This started it all. <laughs> I think this everything in this movie has since then been copied over and over and over again. It's basically set the standard for action, thrillers, dramas. Yeah. Um, you know, the the score, every movie now has the dun dun in it. You oh, know. it does, yeah. So for me, this 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 really was a trendsetter. I think it it, it inspires a lot of filmmakers today visually. Um and from an audio perspective and also from a performance perspective and also when it comes to great writing you know how mm-hmm. someone could think up this plot and create that is is incredible well, and i think for that reason yeah. this has to take the top spot with dunkirk just fair enough nipping at the heels um, we also have uh, obviously tenet which is coming out this year which is scheduled to be released on august 12th 2020 hopefully fingers crossed everybody um, that we're going to see the the next Chris Nolan movie coming out this year. So thank you, Chi, for that question. And if anyone else would like to ask us a question, please get in touch at, at Movie Mouth Podcast on Instagram or the Movie Mouth Podcast on Facebook. Send us a message and we will endeavor to answer your film-related questions. Okay, so on to the news. Phil, on that Batman theme, you've got a little news for us, I hear. I do. Some bat news coming straight out of the bat cave. <laughs> the bat farm. Um, so I read that um, uh, Batman, the Batman, Matt Reeves, the Batman, um, mm-hmm. is getting a TV show spin-off, which is going to be focused on um, Gotham uh, Police Department, basically. So, you know, he's taken over the the mantle for, for the Dark Knight and with the uh, the film coming out with Robert Patterson, um, so yeah, that could be interesting having a TV mm. a TV series of it because I think that could work pretty well, like as a premise. It's interesting because didn't they do the uh, Jim Gordon series as well previously? Yeah, or did they? Um, yeah, yeah. I might have completely missed that. Yeah, Gotham. <laughs> Which is interesting that they're going to go down this route again, almost again. I guess it's probably not going to focus on Jim Gordon in this case, but um, I think they're trying to do more with the creating kind of sub-series and interlocking stories that Marvel have obviously done so well with. Yeah, any spin-off that they can eke out of it, it's going to, <laughs> it's going to be worth it, isn't it? I think it's good, it, it's good for the Batman because it, it tells us that Warner Brothers are very happy with what they've seen so far with Matt Reeves production. Mm. Um, so it's a confidence. Yeah, for them to announce that now, like not just after the films come out. Yeah. Cause I think it's going to be a trilogy of the new films or they, right. they hope that it's going to be a, a trilogy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, that could be good. 
And Batman is Brit- British again. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's right. Um, what else is in the news? So I read about the Princess Bride fan film remake. Did you hear about this? Mm, I, I heard a little about it. Yeah, so this was um, dreamt up, I think, by Jason Reitman uh, in March. Hmm. And it so it features a load of A-list sort of cele- uh, celebrities that are, they've all filmed shot-by-shot scenes of the Princess Bride on their mobiles, and then they're, um, they're cutting them all together, basically. And the original director, Rob Reiner, he's been on board, and he's playing um, the grandfather, <laughs> who was famously played by Peter Falk, Columbo. Yep. Yep. Um, so it's really great that he's on, on board. Josh Gad is playing... Um, Fred Savage, the grandson. Nice. Um, but there's so there's a huge list of people on board. Some really good, fun-looking um, cameos in there. You've got people like Elijah Wood, um, Hugh Jackman, Sam Rockwell, Neil Patrick Harris, um, Jack Black, Sophie Turner. Um, oh, there's lo- there's loads in there. A huge long list of cool people that have uh, been involved, and it. The, good thing is it's all for um it's all for charity uh as well it's going towards a charity that's um it's putting restaurants to work obviously okay. during the corona crisis mm-hmm. crisis they're putting it's putting um restaurants to work to feed the sort of needy the people that need food so it's yeah it's a worthwhile worthwhile cause that it's raising money for as well so that's Absolutely. i think that started streaming they're doing it in a in sections i think not as one huge film but they're doing it in in episodic format and i think that came out this monday on um quibi q-u-i-b-i the streaming service so that could be worth checking out that's good yeah it's been uh, meaning a reason to keep my quibi um subscription which i've had for a little while um but that sounds like something that i could definitely stick to it yeah, I, I would definitely do. I've not heard of Quibi before. I don't think it's very big over here in the UK. I don't think it's very big anywhere, to be honest. But it's it's been right. it's been kind of growing um, recently. They've been signing a lot of top tier talent to it. Quibi stands for Quick Bites, so it's oh, okay. it's mobile only. It's a mobile only app, so you can only watch it on your your smartphone or your tablet. Right, um, and it it has uh, all kinds of like different um, seasons, series, and things like that. I've been watching it. I, I was watching it for uh, Most Dangerous Game, which stars uh, Liam Hemsworth and Christoph Waltz, which is like okay. a, it's like a six minute episode. Each episode is super short. Um, comes out like every day, basically, and then you have this whole thing you can watch, and you can watch it. Your you can watch the show in portrait or landscape mode. It's like full screen. Um, okay. It's it's quite interesting. I just I haven't really found much use to it because I haven't been traveling to work, commuting, or doing anything. I've been at home. Yeah, I, I've got my TV there. So they launched it yeah. at a rather unfortunate time, I think. And then the most important piece of news that I've heard is that uh, Tremors Seven, Tremors Seven is coming out. <laughs> Graboids. <laughs> yeah, uh, I saw that written today that Tremors 7 was coming out. I didn't know they'd made so many of them, to be honest. 
Please tell me it stars Michael Gross. Uh, Did he die in it? Is he still alive in it? I don't know. I've not looked into it that far. (laughs) There is one of the... I think the reason that the article was out was because one of the original characters is going to be back in it, but I I, I couldn't bring myself to look at it. It sounds (laughs) absolutely insane. Um, So that will be coming, no doubt, to a video-on-demand streaming platform very soon. In the old days, that would be... Yeah, it'd be straight to DVD, wouldn't it, in the old days? Yeah. Straight to video, mate. Exactly, exactly. So, Tremors 7 there. I picked up on some news, the most exciting news for me this week. Disney, A Disney music executive let slip in an interview uh, on, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, that he'd recently been, he'd recently approached Daft Punk to discuss collaborating on the new Tron Legacy sequel soundtrack, which of course no one <laughs> knew that Tron Legacy was getting a sequel and it was it got shit canned in 2015 I think. <laughs> um so this guy just let slip, you know, he had no idea. The interviewer Whoops. then pushed him further and he revealed revealed that there was a script that had already been completed for a, a, a Tron sequel and they're hoping that the sequels will, the sequel will be directed by Joe Kaczynski, who of course directed um Tron Legacy and Oblivion and is currently directing Top Gun Maverick. Uh, who for me, if he if he returns, then I, I that's a reason to watch it. Um, but most of the cast are apparently returning, along with Jared Leto, who's been attached to this since the project was cancelled way back when. Um, so they've obviously got some real significant role for Jared Jared Leto in this. Um, yeah. Interestingly, though, they he he stated that they'd learned from a lot of mistakes from the Tron Legacy release. Which, when pushed further, he inclined to share that they are possibly looking at a Disney Plus release for this rather than in theaters, which is interesting right. because Disney have obviously, with Artemis Fowl, uh, with uh, Lady and the Tramp, they've pushed a lot of big budget content to their new streaming platform. So, yeah, um, really interesting. Although I have to say, again, I saw Tron Legacy in, a, in an IMAX screen and it, it blew my friggin' mind. It was absolutely incredible. So mm. I, I hope that it does get some form of theatrical release. But in any case, just any form of release right now for me would be would be amazing. Um, the Also in Netflix news, so The Crown has now been confirmed to extend to a sixth and final season after Netflix had always stated that it would only reach five. So we're currently on season three. Season four is on the way, and then obviously season five. But I think that's good news all around because the uh, the fifth and sixth season will see Imelda Staunton step into the role of Queen Elizabeth II after the first two seasons with Claire Foy, who was amazing. Um, yeah. Olivia Colman in season three, who I think the jury the jury is out on. Um, but you know, obviously, she's coming back for the for the fourth season currently. So I think it's great news. Um, I think it's an incredible show. If you haven't seen The Crown? I think it's a really good show. Um, yeah. Worth checking out. So trailers this week, Phil. What have you been watching? Seen anything interesting? I saw. Yeah, I saw it. T- well, depends how you look at it. Actually, the t- <laughs> I saw a, a teaser trailer, so not a full trailer, but for Halloween Kills, the next one in the Halloween series, which is coming out in October next year. Um, starring Jamie Lee Curtis, the the teaser doesn't give away too much. Obviously, it's a teaser, but it you know I'm a massive fan of the original Halloween. Yeah. I love that film. Um, then there's been some absolutely 
shocking ones. Halloween H2O springs to mind. I remember buying that on video <laughs> and uh, probably burning it straight away. But yeah, it. I don't know. Who knows so if it's going to be any Gordon good or Green not. Green re- kind of rebooted it, didn't he? But then he also he did. tied it. He didn't reboot it. He kind of tied it into the first Halloween. Was that right? Yeah. I, to be honest, I sort of gave up on them. I, I don't, and expunged no. H2O from the from history. Yeah, which it. is good yeah. because it was oh, awful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it could be good. Uh, yeah, check out the teaser on that. And then the other one I watched, uh, trailer wise, was for a film called Endless, which is coming out on August the fourteenth. And this stars um, Alexandra Ship, who plays Storm in the X Men Apocalypse film. She's been in, I think okay. she was in Deadpool two as Storm, like a cameo type thing in that, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's been in quite a few bits and uh, Nicholas Hamilton from uh, the It films. He's been in those, uh, the recent ones. Uh, and to be honest, this basically looks like a complete ripoff uh, or uh, of Ghost. <laughs> the Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore oh, classic. <laughs> yeah, just I mean, it's checking just... I'm singing that for the right movie this time. Yeah, yes. Um, yeah, so it just, you know, it's about a couple of high school, uh, teens fall madly in love and then they're in a, a tragic car accident. And then the, uh, the guy comes back as a ghost and starts haunting, well, not haunting, not in a bad way, just, uh, sort of (laughs) creepily staring at her from afar and she can somehow (laughs) see him in sometimes it's yeah, it just doesn't it definitely doesn't i don't know it could be good it looks like there could be some good performances in it but it just doesn't look very original when ghosts already been made and ghosts great okay so yeah uh well definitely not up for that one off the back of your review um (laughs) but we can check that one out for sure i'll have a look at the trailer and i'll come back to you next week i saw the trailer for the boys season two um which we talked about i said it was more of the same but I think uh, Boys Season 2 looks like more of the same in a good way. Uh, someone's head, I think, gets squashed to like a grape in this by one <laughs> of the superheroes um, or supervillains, as I should say. Um, but again, if you haven't seen the Boys Season 1, check that out. Boys Season 2 is coming in September. I think the one I'm most excited for is the Umbrella Academy Season 2, uh, which, of course, is based on the graphic novel that was written by Gerard Way of My Chemical Romance. Um <laughs> Season two looks amazing because it appears that they're doing some kind of alternate timeline, like Back to the Future Part Two, and uh, it just looks wicked. It's always it visually been very stunning, um, but I think this is going to be a this is going to be a great season. I have a feeling it comes out in July this month, so it's on. Uh, it's going to be on Netflix. All episodes are going to be available on there. Um, so if you haven't seen uh, either The Boys or Umbrella Academy. You're going to want to jump into that pretty soon so that you can catch up with season two. Obviously, the boys on Amazon Prime and uh, the Umbrella Academy on Netflix. So in this week's reviews, uh, we will start off with Greyhound, which is directed by Aaron Schneider and starring Tom Hanks. So I sat down to watch this one. Um, Interesting movie. Uh, This was supposed to be released in theaters. I remember seeing the trailer at the start of the year. Um, but Sony then 
decided to move it over to the Apple TV Plus platform. So this is actually now available to everybody now on Apple TV Plus um, to, to watch at home. This is uh, a World War II um, drama. It's based on a novel, which is an important term, novel, um, called The Good Shepherd by a, a writer called C.S. Forrester. And the screenplay is written by Tom Hanks as well. The plot is straightforward. A U.S. Navy captain, Tom Hanks, um, is given his first Atlantic crossing commission of World War II to guide a convoy of military and merchant ships to Liverpool, England, to support the Allied war efforts. Once underway, the convoy are then followed and tormented by the Wolfpack, a bloodthirsty flotilla of Nazi U-boats. So this is more of a thriller than a factual World War II war movie, which is why I said based on a novel. Um, there is a level of authenticity, which is seen during the, the many tense scenes on board the Greyhound, which is the ship that Tom Hanks is, is kind of leading the charge with the, with the, uh, the merchant vessels. Um, and the camera actually never really leaves this, this ship. Um, I felt a great sense of understanding and knowledge about the practices and limitations of naval warfare, um, such as sonar detect detection, gun ranges, torpedoes, uh, trajectories, that kind of thing. Really, really interesting stuff um, that, that came out of this movie. And you kind of feel like the world is is lived in and, and, and to some extent real. Tom Hanks, as always, is excellent, although this does feel more like the kind of role he can do in his sleep now. Um, and therefore he doesn't really offer anything new. Um, unsurprisingly, you know, this is a character that still has depth. Um, even though we only get one scene off of the ship, uh, at the start of the movie with his love interest, who's played by Elizabeth Shue. And obviously we never, he never then really leaves the bridge, which is the captain's personal and professional mission in steadfastness. There's an ongoing kind of thing where the, um, the chef aboard the, the ship is trying to bring him food and coffee and feed him and tell him to take a break. And he never does. Mm. Um, the assembled cast are a hodgepodge of new faces. Um, and to be honest, they're barely given any character or personality, which you could argue is the true essence of the military, you know, not having any kind of true um, above and beyond sense of personality other than that of the big green, or in this case, gray beast, mm. um, except Stephen Graham. A British actor who stars as Charlie Cole, he provides a kind of counsel to our troubled skipper with um, during the eye of the storm um, throughout throughout this movie. Um, but again, doesn't really have a lot a lot to do. Coming back to the plot, it's clear that this is only thematically based on fact, where the fiction starts to take over and imbues the script with moments that take you out of the gritty drama and into a cartoonish direction. Are moments such as the the, the radio hailing from Grey Wolf, which is one of the U-boats who regularly call to taunt the Greyhound with some over-the-top voice acting and wolf howling. <laughs> Hello, Greyhound. We are calling you. You're all going to be dead in the morning. By the way, it wasn't Hans Zimmer that was on the, <laughs> that was on the boat. <laughs> Where's your pocket watch? <laughs> I can hear your pocket watch ticking. I'm going to record um, it and play it back to imbued tension actually that would have perhaps increased some of the tension if, if hans had done that um but i found those scenes really cringeworthy um <laughs> as as well as the kind of there's the on each of the u-boats they've each got these decals that are kind of painted on them really clearly 
So one yeah. of them's obviously got a bloody wolf with like, you know, blood dripping out of his mouth, a zombie Nazi on another one, a deck of cards on another. And I found it really, I just found it a little bit too kind of on the nose. I found it all a bit too convenient as a visual aid to yeah. these unseen enemies. And it, I felt like um, that, that these U-boats were almost their own renegade command, and not really part of the, out the kind of full German war effort. It was like yeah. they're off on their own doing this. It, it was yeah. really weird and cartoonish. Um, two other kind of overbearing fourth wall breakers for me included the really glossy and cheap-looking digital cinematography, which um, rather than offering dark, you know, dingy corners um, in the ship's bridge and the nighttime scenes were like super bright, gave way too much brightness and not enough contrast um, and, and then you have the effects of, of this kind of greasy motion blur, like the lens had been smothered in Vaseline when people right. are moving around or doing anything remotely fast. Like there's right, even a scene okay. where Tom Hanks stands up after praying and it's like, it's a bit blurry. I just, it, it seemed just a little bit too cheap to, to look at. And for a mm. movie with a budget of $50 million, I found the CGI too overbearing. I mean, everything in this is digital. Everything in here is fake apart from the actors and the bridge set, everything else, even the ocean. I, 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 at many points, this kind of reminded me of Attack of the Clones, kind of right. level of CGI where it's you know much. the actors, yeah, they're just reacting it's to a you know tennis ball on a pole. Yeah, um, well, so I've, that, I've only seen the trailer for it, and from what I those quick like two minutes, what I saw, I thought the I thought it looked like it could be good but if there's too much of it like you know the battle scenes in the trailer looked pretty good mm. um but if there's too e- much every that, every every scene whether it's just a ship in a storm or you know the ship firing something or a submarine coming up every scene is cgi there's there's not yeah. even you know and i think you know going going back to you know coming off the heels of a, of a world war two two movie and how to do it right christopher nolan's dunkirk with all of its practical effects and heart pounding set pieces um you know, every movie since then that is set in a in a war um, a, a war period, they're going to be um, measured by a, a much more stringent marching pace stick, such as such as uh, Dunkirk. And in the case of Greyhound, I don't think you ever truly feel like the the guys here are actually at sea. Um, what what could have been a, a monumental success feels more like a throwaway thriller. Um, and if it wasn't for Tom Hanks, this would be an absolute catastrophe and not worth the the cinema price of admission. So I think it is very um, apt that I think Sony moved this over to, to Apple TV Plus because it's definitely going to find a home and it's going to find people to watch it. However, with its new watch at home availability, you know, star leading, star leading power um, from Tom Hanks and scenes of humanity and and to be fair, tense naval action. The Greyhound is a thriller that I would recommend for a two-hour watch at home. Just don't expect it to stick around in your rewatch list. Um, Apple have really been, um, for me, struggling to find its big um, IP on Apple TV Plus. And if, like me, you're still skeptical of the platform and and you know finding any killer content on there, I think for me the search continues for a true reason to invest your hard-earned money at this this time in the world into an Apple TV Plus subscription. 
So Greyhound is available now on Apple TV Plus everywhere. So coming up next, Phil sat down to watch the Charlie's Theron actioner, The Old Guard on Netflix. What did you think of this one? So yeah, this was released today on Netflix, directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood. I like that name. Sounds very posh. It's a relatively fast-paced action thriller adapted from the Greg Rucker and Leandro Fernandez graphic novel of the same name. Greg Rucker also wrote the screenplay for it as well, I believe. So to give a quick rundown of the plot, we follow a group of immortal and very old mercenaries led by Andy, Charlie Theron, who in a very noble fashion strive to do good in the world and help those in need. Um, they're able to heal from what seemed like any wound and are soon joined by a new and reluctant recruit in Nile, played by Kiki Lane, um, who has just found out that she is immortal as well. Things quickly take a turn for the sinister when they discover that a scientific research company wants to capture them in order to extract their DNA for science. But basically, it's mainly for profit. So without going into spoilers, I found this to be a well-paced and entertaining action film. It's got some great, well-choreographed fight and action scenes and switches um, to quite different locations around the globe, which is enough to keep you interested. It's a, it's a little over two hours long, but I never felt like it dragged or needed to be shorter. So it's, it justifies that, that runtime, I think. There are some strong backstories in the form of flashbacks to help you understand just how much the immortals would have seen and done during their very, very long lives and the emotional toll it takes on them having to see loved ones grow old and die as they don't. So, which is pretty harsh, I should think. Um, Charlize Theron delivers a strong performance, switching from ass-kicking warrior to supportive mother-type figure quite effortlessly. Um, however, it certainly helps that she is backed up by a strong ensemble cast in the rest of her immortal allies. Um, Kiki Lane, in particular, is I think she's really good in this as well. Um, Harry Melling also puts in a decent, albeit massively over-the-top uh, performance as the evil CEO of the scientific research company. He successfully makes you want to punch him square in the face though. So I guess that's a good <laughs> sign that he's doing it well. That's what people say about me. <laughs> you don't need to make an effort for people to want to do that to you. That's uh, <laughs> zero effort, maximum funds, funds pacing. Yeah. Fence pacing. Okay. And Harry Melling as well. He's been in, so I'm sure he gets sick of people saying this, but most people will recognize him as Dudley from Harry Potter. Um, but he's been popping up a lot recently in a lot of films and TV as well. He was in the, in the new BBC, his Dark Materials um, series, as well as the BBC, I think it was BBC. Yeah, BBC War of the World series as well. So he's getting, seems to be getting a lot more roles and he, he is very good. Um, so yeah, overall, I I really enjoyed this somewhat different spin on the genre. I felt it was a solid two hours of ass kicking history and emotion. Um, and I think it could turn into a, 
if Netflix wanted to, I think it's the kind of thing that would work really well as a successful franchise, as there's certainly enough scope there for some elaboration on the Immortals backstories, um, as well as sequel fuel as well. I mean, when you think that the Immortals go back, you know, especially a couple of them, you know, go back a couple of thousand years. Uh, so it's good to see those sort of backstories come through when you see the flashbacks and they're fighting wars long past and they mention having fought wars alongside Napoleon and there's loads that they could do with it. Um, so yeah, I, I was, I was, I enjoyed it a lot, so I'd recommend it. So that's out now on Netflix. It's definitely one I'm going to watch this weekend. So coming up next, Video Store Corner. And this week, Phil and I sat down to watch and discuss Peter Weir's 1998 Jim Carrey starring classic, The Truman Show. So this movie was a real uh, interesting departure for both star and director, Jim Carrey, in this case, having been in multiple smash hit comedies at this point, this was definitely the peak of his power. Two Ace Ventura movies, The Mask, uh, Liar Liar, um, Dumb and Dumber. You know, he'd he'd really been in, you know, some balls to the wall comedy. Um, Peter Weir was coming off of uh, Dead Poets Society, Witness, and Gallipoli. So, you know, some real heavy kind of heavy handed movies. Peter Weir is a, is a genius. Some great movies there. Witness with Harrison Ford in particular. If you haven't seen that, then that's, yeah. that's a definite must watch. Um, and obviously he then went on after this to direct Master and Commander, um, mm-hmm. which is another movie that ends with, or actually has most of it, ships on the ocean sailing around. <laughs> um, the far side of the world, as it were. <laughs> it absolutely was. Please make a sequel of that, Hollywood, if you're listening. Um, so in the case of The Truman Show... Uh, Truman Burbank is born uh, to anonymous parents and becomes the first baby to ever be adopted by a corporation. The corporation take this baby and they decide to make a giant dome. They put the baby inside a fake town and they film his every move as he grows up. And we catch up with with Truman um, must be, you know, early to mid thirties, um, guessing at this point, 98, Jim Carrey was around 35, uh, 36. So, um, mid, mid to late thirties going through that kind of crisis of, uh, midlife. Um, but also, you know, yearning for more in his life when he hasn't ever been able to leave his hometown. And then eventually, of course he gets married. Uh, he has friends, family around him that are of course all actors and everybody in this is an actor except for Truman himself. Um, so if you've ever had one of those days where you wonder to yourself, am I just here for everybody else's amusement? Well, this takes it literally. Um, this movie is a stone cold classic. If you haven't seen it, it's a must watch. Um, but also to see, you know, Jim Carrey performing, I think for the first time at a more dramatic level, um, and, uh, and to see, you know, a film that really does create a lot of questions and is, I think still relevant for a lot of people at this stage in their life. Um, Phil, what do you make of this movie? Yeah, I love this film. It's, I remember seeing it when it came out and I think it's, um, I think at the time it was when I just love how ever, how different the premise is for the film. I think it's very new. I think there's other stories that roll around it, but I remember thinking at the time, oh, this is such a good idea for a film, like to have a, someone's life being filmed as a, as a TV program. Um, 
so yeah, it was just really refreshing. And I'd not watched it for quite a few years actually until we mm. watched it this week. So mm. I, I yeah fell back in love with it. I I really like it, and I think Jim Carrey does an amazing job at showcasing his talent for both sit, you know, his wacky comedy which he does um, mm-hmm. as he's gradually going insane during the film. <laughs> yeah, but as well as is you know the serious side of it as well because there's some pretty serious uh, scenes in this film. Like when mm. he's starting to lose it a bit and. He's, you know, he, when he's losing it in the kitchen with his wife, his on-screen wife, uh, uh, yeah, and he gets pretty fraught at, at, at points, doesn't it? That'd be Meryl, played by Laura Linney. I think it was the That's first right. time I remember seeing Laura Linney in anything when I was younger. She's amazing in this, with her kind of promotions that she does, her like advertisement commercials that she does to camera. Yeah, yeah I, I was going to say, knife. why don't you yeah. buy one of those new lawnmowers? I love that's what I was going to say actually the the product placement gags in this uh I I found hilarious I love the um those twin brother guys that see Truman every morning and they they have to like push him position him in front of a sign which obviously an advertiser's paid right. to like put their poster onto and they're like right. forcefully pushing him back against it to get him in frame uh which is funny and I love how Marlon um yeah who's Truman's best mate in the film played by, by Noah Emmerich. Emmerich. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love how he turns up in any situation, jumps out of his car and he's got a cold six pack of beer that they advertise <laughs> early in the Truman, film. Truman, I got a six pack. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Truman, so, yeah, I, I'm gonna th- I got a surprise there. party for you. Because you know that a hundred percent, if it ever happened, that is it. Product placement would be all over that. Yeah. Uh, and it sort of reminds me of some Spanish TV stuff as well, because you do get that in some of the Spanish series I've watched. Like your daytime Netflix. soaps and things like that. Yeah, those, but they mm. push um, like beer brands and stuff. And, you know, it's mm. full on. You can see the actors are like holding the beer up, making sure the label's pointing to camera. It yeah. just reminds me of that. And it's, yeah, it's quite funny. But I, 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 yeah, as I said, I love the way, I also think it's great, the whole creepy, uh, it's got that, Although it's not, I think it, you know, it's obviously set in the mid 90s, but it's got this really creepy, like 50s American nuclear, you know, because everyone's an actor there or an extra, uh, everyone's really smiley and happy, like all the time. Yeah, it's a little um, Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say that as well. It's Mm -hmm. just like that. It's, um, but I quite like that about it. And Which is weirdly something I didn't pick up on when I was a kid watching it. I didn't. I just no, I didn't felt either. like it was now. Yeah, yeah. But even the way they dress when you look at the costumes in it are quite fifties, and everyone's sort of smartly dressed and trilby hats and things. It's yeah, it's a bit odd. And talking about these kind of you know actors that are there, I love also the the magazine stand um, clerk who who Truman buys his newspaper from every day and. Yeah, probably doesn't even read the newspaper. The only reason he's actually going is to pick up the women's magazine for quote unquote the missus. And of course, every time he picks it up in the morning, he'll say, "Oh, you know, for the wife, you know." Yeah. And the guy will be like, "Oh, yeah, of course, of course." But really, this guy knows he's buying it because he's ripping out pictures of women to look like the woman he actually fell in love with. Yeah. You know, and pasting it together into some kind of weird pastiche. Um, that is a bit odd. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's terrifying. The first time you see that on camera, you're like, uh. Yeah, and then he comes back, and then you have to sell him the magazine again. You know, you know that you're facilitating this this madness. 
Yeah. But it's also that's that somehow they turn that from being a very odd moment into, you know, something that's actually very sweet for Truman because he's, you know, she's real to him and yeah. he's he was in love with her, you know, naturally. And, you know, obviously with Meryl, he was forced to love her. It was part of the storyline and he didn't know about it. And they were going to stop at nothing than to have her come into into his life. Um, but I absolutely loved, I loved, I loved that. There's some amazing character names in this as well. Um, when we cut later on to the interview with uh, Christoph, played by Ed Harris, who's basically the man in the moon. He's the guy that's running the show here and, and controlling all of the beats um, that poor old Truman has to go through. Uh, but he gets interviewed by Harry Shearer, whose wonderful character name is Mike Michelson. <laughs> yeah. I love character names like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, but no, and, and and you know, obviously Ed Harris here is also in a really interesting, you know, art artiste type role, um, you know, kind of controlling these elements, um, and and a lot of those scenes. I love how it, it's really it's really nice how you, that's only actually revealed this whole control room, you know, Ed Harris and everything else, until um, halfway through when Truman is at his wits end, and Marlon, his best friend, is sitting with him having a six pack of beer on the the kind of deconstructed or not yet finished um, highway. Yeah. And and uh, Marlon's kind of conveying these words of wisdom to Truman. You know, I've, we've been friends since we were young, since we were seven and blah, 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 blah. You know, I'll always be there for you and emoting. And then the camera finally cuts away into Christoph's control room. And we see that it's actually Christoph that's feeding this information into Marlon's ear um, yep. through an earpiece. And, uh, you know, that, that's a really, that's a really interesting moment because from that point on, we start to side more with Truman and, you know, as we kind of look behind the curtain, we kind of want him to, to be successful in getting the hell out of this, you know, terrifying position. And Marlon lies to, to, uh, Truman and says, you know, I'll, you know, if, 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 if nothing's real in, in Sea Haven, then, uh, I'm not real you know, myself, and then I'm lying to you and I would never do that and blah, 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 blah. And of course, you know, he was actually lying. So it's actually really sad. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as that moment. Harsh. Um, yeah. I'm going to, do you want me to throw some uh, Truman Show trivia at you? Before you do that, so bear in mind again, I haven't looked at IMDb, but okay. I wanted to just say something that I noticed in this, yeah. which never gets explained. Okay. But there's a scene in in the morning in Truman's house where he and Meryl, I think, have had breakfast. And on the kitchen table, there's a little bottle of pills which says vit- vitamin D, vitamin yep. D on it. Yeah. Which is genius because yep. they're in this dome. They're not getting direct sunlight. Yeah, you need it if you've so got ob- a deficiency of... The, exactly. Yeah. So they've obviously it's- told like... Truman obviously believes that he has to take these vitamin D pills <laughs> yeah. to make himself healthy for whatever reason, because he's not actually getting any sun. It's a very small thing, but when you see it, I saw it the first time I've ever seen, I've seen this movie a ton and I was yeah. like, Oh, okay. That, that actually makes sense. That's quite yeah, interesting yeah. when you think about it. Yeah. But you also think they could have probably, uh, like renamed those tablets to make them like something else so that you wouldn't question. Well, he couldn't Google it, could he? So he, he didn't. <laughs> True, in, every, in every book, it probably just said, you know, you need to take these pills every day to stay alive, you know? Yeah, maybe. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, they could have uh, yeah. 
course, yeah, the trivia I've got. So from my favorite section of IMDb, the trivia section, let's see how many of these you know. So in an interview, director Peter Weir stated he wanted to have cameras installed in every theater the film was shown in. Having the projectionist at one point cut the power, cut to the viewers, and then cut back to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, impractical, but that would have been amazing. You you would shit yourself, wouldn't you? <laughs> in 1998? Yeah. This isn't great, like right? now, where everyone has a camera in their pocket. This is 1998. No. 98, yeah. You're sitting down to watch a film about people being watched. And then at some point they do it. Let's say they do a scene where like with the radio scene where he tunes into the, yeah. the actual radio and they're following him and they're like, Oh, he's turning left on this square. And yeah. if they did that, where it was like the screen is breaking and everything's crackling and then you get the snowball fight and everything's freaking out. And then it yeah. cuts to the theater and you're all sitting there. And everyone would just start freaking out. And then it would cut back to the movie. <laughs> so the, yeah. That'd be awesome. That would be amazing. Yeah. But yeah, a bit harder to do in 98, I think. Yeah. Just a bit. Um, next trivia, Dennis Hopper was originally cast as Christoph, hmm. but walked off the set after his first day. So Ed Harris replaced him. Pub quiz, Truman. <laughs> There's a bar on the bus. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could have seen What do work. you do, Truman? <laughs> what do you do? I could have seen Dennis Hopper doing that. I mean, Ed, Ed Harris is yeah. brilliant in it, but I could see Dennis yeah. Hopper doing that as well. Yeah, Ed um, Harris then went on to work with Peter Weir in the in the way back. So I wonder if you know he may have never have, have got to work with him in that case. Yeah, Obviously he was maybe. impressed. It's weird. It's another movie where Ed Harris is yelling at a TV monitor, like in uh, Straight Down a Camera, like in um, uh, The Rock. There's a scene in The yeah. Rock where Ed Harris is yelling down uh, the the camera into a little green and black and white monitor. <laughs> We should do a drinking game on this, guys. Every time Phil or I mention either The Rock or Heat, you should take a shot. Also, if Phil mentions his wife or I mention New York or Manhattan, you should take a you should take a have a have a shot of some kind of liquor. <laughs> what do you think? Answers on a postcard. Right, more trivia. Um, Brian De Palma was under negotiations to direct before he left United Talent Agency in March 94. Directors who were considered after De Palma's departure included Tim Burton, Terry Gilliam, Barry Sonnefeld, uh, and Steven Spielberg. All, all of which could have nailed this. Yeah, absolutely. Gilliam um, could have nailed this. Sonnefeld, Sonnefeld could have nailed this without a doubt with that tone. Yeah. Um, we saw that, I think, in uh, Men in Black 3. He had that kind of weird... No, Men in Black 2, was it at the start? He had that kind of weird tone, mm-hmm. um, that kind of Edward Scissorhands and Tim Burton. I mean, this could have been a Tim Burton movie, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. De Palma. Um, the first part, that's called The Pledge. The second part, that's called De Palma. <laughs> the boat that Truman sails on at the end of the movie is named the Santa Maria, the same name of one of Christopher Columbus's ships. Uh, mm-hmm. when sailing to eventually find a new world. Hmm. So it's an interesting one. And then the last one I have for you, uh, I like this one. So the ending of the Truman Show mirrors the ending of the C.S. Lewis book, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which is number four in the Narnia series. Mm-hmm. Um, so it ends with a ship sailing to the end of the known world and encountering a sky blue wall with a doorway leading to another world. 
Very true. Yeah. That's very there true. They must have just lifted that straight from it. Yeah, they thought that's cool, whatever that. Yeah. I have to say um, that the the scene where Truman is on the is on the boat and we see him kind of sailing towards the the wall and obviously he pen- his ship penetrates the side of the of the dome which is this blue painted sky wall thing and the mask kind of goes through it Truman reaches out and that Jim Carrey moment that he touches that wall for the first time and he has this look on his face this realization on his face and suddenly you can see in his eyes you can see in his reaction that this wall he's touching is the first real thing he's ever felt mm. like this wall is here for a reason. Whereas everything else is there for him. Do you know what I mean? It's there for just bull. It's just bullshit. This yeah. is the first time when he gets his hand on that, on, onto, onto that wall. That's the very first time he gets to look behind the curtain, Yeah, you know, and realize that this is not what it seems to be because he doesn't notice the cameras. He doesn't see things like that. You know what I mean? And yeah. that scene for me, when I was a kid, I, you know, I was just like, oh, cool. Like he's going to get out. But watching it again as an adult, it's like, wow, that's, that's a groundbreaking moment. I mean, what, what do you think, what do you think Truman was, uh, was going to do when he, when he get, when he, when he walked through that door, what do you think he was going to get up to? What was his life like after that? <laughs> it would have been awful because <laughs> he would have, in reality, he would, like he would have just been hounded by press and media. Mm-hmm. for interviews considering it was like a global show that was what everyone watched he'd probably just think fuck this i'm going back <laughs> go back to sea haven <laughs> fuck fiji it, yeah fuck fiji i'm going back because he'd never be left in peace really well well initially, I, d- I, I feel like he would he'd walk out he'd probably and he'd probably walk into some kind of big you know, breeze block lined corridor when Phil, Phil and I used to work in a, a well-known film, uh, uh, film store in the UK. I remember this mall that we worked in had this big corridor. It'd be a bit like that, you know, like behind the scenes. Yeah. And he'd emerge and he'd be like, okay, right. I'm in a corridor now. He'd walk down there a little bit, probably have to walk quite a long way when you consider how far he sailed. He'd be (laughs) met by, I think a janitor or a security guard, someone very low in the pecking order. That would be like might not even recognize him. Do you know what I mean? Someone that's maybe old that doesn't even realize. Oh, can I help you? Like, what are you doing back here? Yeah. Um, I think he'd be taken to a holding room, and he'd be met by an executive of the production company. But I don't think he'd ever be met by Christoph or anyone that was in the in the in the room there. And I think that they would then try to help him prepare for the outside world. But I think before that, Sylvia would then because if we see her leaving her apartment, yeah, she like um, rushes out, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah, it kind of creates this feeling that she's on the way. Obviously, she's been leading a legal challenge and a protest to free Truman. Um, I think she'd she'd meet him. She'd demand that he's freed. He'd, he'd he'd be released, and I think he'd then, you know, really struggle to acclimate to the real world. Do you know yeah. what I mean? He'd really struggle. Um, but I think he'd also like the challenge, bearing in mind that he's looking for adventure. Um, it, I think that with Sylvia's help, they'd end up suing the production company and winning a <laughs> shit ton of money. Yeah. Um, and with that money that they would, they'd be able to just, you know, they or him, maybe just him, even maybe he just needs, you know, some time on his own to find out who he really is. Uh, he'd go traveling and probably end up living on a private Island in Fiji, ironically. 
Um, but I do feel like you say, like he'd be hounded. I feel like, you know, he'd value his privacy. So he'd have some form of extensive reconstructive surgery on his face <laughs> yeah. to, to make him look slightly different. <laughs> yeah. Jim Carrey was actually asked that question. And he he said that he thought what would happen is that Truman would em- emerge from the dome um, and and that he thinks Truman would get outside of the dome having felt alone inside the dome and realize on the outside of the dome that he's alone as well because everyone that's outside the dome wants to be inside it. They all want yeah. that perfect life, you know, the white picket fence. And yeah. he would be alone. He would be looking for something else. Um, so I think it was quite an interesting theory, quite depressing theory, but I, I, I feel like the guy would just have, he'd get a ton of money and he would be able to just travel and disappear in, in the way that he wanted to. What would you say is your favorite scene in this movie? I think it's a mix of, I just like the whole bit where he starts, it starts to unravel and he starts to get it and he, Mm. and I quite like the one in the car when he goes a bit mad and he's in the car with his he tells her to get in and he tries to make a run for it and the the traffic yeah the traffic like blocks in front of them and he's like oh how convenient like you know the the road's (laughs) completely blocked and then he same street cars are all gone yeah i quite like that and i like um yeah i just like his all the scenes where he's just working it out he's figuring it out I, i really like it yeah, yeah, I like I like those scenes as well. Uh, the scene when he sees his dad uh, in the yes. street, and he's like a bum. Yeah. Somehow his dad's got in. I wonder how his dad's got in there. I feel like they have a lot of extras that they don't check, and somehow he just got <laughs> got in. Yeah, the security's not very tight on it, is it? No, I mean there are a few people who got in there. Oh wait, I've just thought of something. How did the guy? You know, they show the people that have like breached the security before. Yeah. How did the guy parachute in if it's a dome? There's a guy that parachutes in saying it's a TV show on his chest. Maybe there's um, there's like some kind of sky uh, walk, yeah, that you can climb up, you know, like in the top of the dome. Yeah, maybe. So you can get up, you know. I, I, it's a good question, though. It's a very good question. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I really like those scenes. Those are great. I think the ones where you kind of see you know, what Truman doesn't see when he was a kid, you know, the, the guy jumping out of the Christmas gift under the Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah. Truman, you know, um, the scene where um, Truman's dad stops him from climbing up on the rocks. Yeah, you can hear like, like drilling and like, over there, yeah. Build, yeah, like a building. Yeah. yeah. Like a building site. I, I really like that one. The scene where you see his dad uh, kind of die, you know, in the, in the ocean, but then you see like the scuba diver, the scuba diver, like helping him. And he's, he's like, really oh, God damn it. Like really yeah. pissed off because he didn't want to yeah. leave the, yeah. Um, yeah. Just, you know, all, all that stuff I I think is is absolutely brilliant. For me, that that kind of final scene, that that uh, um, the kind of death and rebirth of Truman, you know, with, with the wind machine and the storm and all that kind of thing in the ship, I think is really powerful. Um, yeah. Where, where does this sit for you in Jim Carrey's kind of back catalogue? terms of your favorites oh i i see i think when i think of jim carrey i always think of like two different jim carreys mm-hmm. i think of like the proper silly stuff you know stuff i still enjoyed like ace ventura and liar liar and the cable guy and uh, 
the mask, you know, all of those proper comic slapsticky films. And then I think there's other films. This one's on the edge, isn't it? Of a bit of both, really. It kind of so, straddles both. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I always see Eternal the Truman Show as quite a different. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I always see it as a bit of a different Carrey film. Like it's not the one. If I was in a mood for a Jim Carrey film, it's not one I'd immediately think of because it's. I know it's a bit more between the two. It's weird, isn't it? I feel like this movie. Yeah. If this movie had starred anyone else. It might at the time it might have been a flop. Like there are a lot of high concept kind of movies like this that are like independent type movies, like uh, Downsizing with Matt Damon that came out, where Matt Damon mm. gets shrunk. Have you seen that? And he goes to live in a <laughs> no. city of of miniature people. This came oh, out a couple right. of years ago. Alexander Payne movie who directed Sideways. Yeah, he that Matt Damon gets shrunk and he goes to live in because it's cheaper to be shrunk because your money goes a longer way and resources <laughs> are much more efficient and things like that. That kind of movie, which you haven't seen, do you know what I mean? If yeah. if 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 I feel like if the Truman Show wasn't starring Jim Carrey or maybe you know Robin Williams or someone like that at the time, I don't think it would have got close to being a success or be as anywhere near memorable no. as it is now. And it's really in the zeitgeist now. People talk about, oh, I feel like I'm in the Truman Show. Yeah, you know, in the same way people say, oh, it's like Groundhog Day. It's definitely a cult, know, like cult classic, isn't it? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and and a success in its own right as a box office smash, um, which you know, I for me, it's definitely it's definitely in the like you. I don't think of it as you know. I think of two different Jim Carries. It's definitely in the top five Jim Carry for me. Mm. It's definitely in the top five Jim Carry for me. But I'm still balls to the wall, crazy slapstick Jim Carry pulling facial expressions. You love like, a bit also, of it, don't you? I do love Jim Carry. Um, so, but you know, this is such a great movie. Um, if you haven't seen the Truman show, or maybe you haven't seen it in a few years, go back and watch it now with what we know now about reality TV, because when this came out, there was no such thing as reality TV. This was 1998, you know, it was before survivor, before big brother, um, before all of these talent contests, you know, and this really is a kind of a, a warning for what's to come. Uh, just a few before years TV later, was so ruined. It was bloody ruined, sir. You know, um, so definitely worth a watch. You'd say, Phil? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Get yourself to, down to watch the Truman Show. On next week's podcast, we'll be bringing you more of the same with news, reviews, and amazing interview that you're not going to want to miss and all the regular movie-related fun. But before we go, please follow our Facebook and Instagram accounts at, at Movie Mouth Podcast and hit subscribe, or give us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts. There's just one last thing to say. Phil. Yes? In case I don't see you. Good afternoon, good, good, afternoon, good, evening, good evening, and good night. Good night. Goodbye, <laughs> <laughs> Phil. Goodbye. Charlie Theron delivers a strong performance. She switches from ass-kicking warrior to supportive mother-type figure quite effort. <laughs>
Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> What's wrong with you? I don't know. Quite effortlessly. Effortlessly. Charlie Stallone. <laughs> Charlie Stallone. Please can we put all this at the end? Of, can we put all this at the end of the podcast, please? <laughs> no.